I hope you enjoyed uh, Mr. Hume's testimony yesterday. If that doesn't get you excited or at least pondering the importance of missions, you kind of need help. Nehemiah chapter 1. We'll get there in a little bit. I, I have probably a little too much information, so I'm not going to be in a hurry to get through this. Um, I have surrendered to missions numerous times. Um, when I went to Bible college back in 1994, I surrendered my life to do whatever the Lord wanted. I, I really thought I did, to be honest. But there were some things in my heart that were what we call reservations. I did not want to go to Africa. I'm sorry, I just didn't want to go to Africa. Um, you just... When, and, and I know we throw Africa around loosely, but there's actually more countries in Africa than there are states in the United States of America. There's 54 countries in Africa. And over the course of my college years, I began to understand that if you're going to live a surrendered life, you have to be willing to go wherever God wants you to go. And interestingly enough, three students that are here in the college, I went on a missions trip with their dad. So Eli Schrock and I went to Zambia Africa together back in 1995, 96, somewhere in there. And Lana's dad and I were over in Africa together back in the day before you guys were even thought of. All right? but, but just the idea of it was kind of the place, it seems to be Cambodia, maybe the emphasis right now. But back in my day, our preacher was really pushing for people to go to Zambia. And we heard a lot of exciting things. And I said, if I'm going to go to the mission field, I want to go to a place that's exciting. It was a place where English was being, uh, was being used. It was a place where you could go immediately and plug in. And I remember going, uh, myself and three other men, and all of us were plugged in to what the Lord wanted us to do. And we were excited. We went there. We spent a month there. It really was life-changing. And, and, and I, I came back, and I said, Lord, you just, if, if that's where you want me to go, I'll go. He made it clear it wasn't, but I was willing to go. And I, I just, I want to make a blanket statement. It's not going to be earth-shattering, life-altering, but, but I want you to get this. If you take notes, great. It's not going to be something you're like, wow, I've never heard this before, but I want to say this. The life of the Christian must be, must be, and I say it again, must be an unselfish life. My heart's desire is that the Armacost do not leave us. That's the selfish side of me because my family loves them. We pray for them. We've grown close over the last 25 or 30 years. But if we're going to live a life of a Christian, we have to be willing to be unselfish. If you are a selfish person, And I think in some ways all of us are. The Christian life, let me say this, the Christian life will be livable, but it won't be enjoyable. That's why Saturdays are not always fun. Because there's always something more we can do on Saturday than go bus visiting. It would be nice to just sit in church instead of being with those annoying three-year-olds or seventh and eighth graders or second graders when you could say, you know what, life would be much easier if I didn't happen to have to get on a cold bus 
Come into church, frazzled. My clothes got messed up because somebody puked on me. Then I go to class and the story that I prepared, they didn't listen anyways. And then I get back on the bus while other fellow students are back in the dorm taking their afternoon nap. And my bus captain said, you got to mop the bus. And we had ramen noodles. And the kids didn't like them because there wasn't hot sauce on them. And they got poured out on the floor. And while my bus captain comfortably walks away, there I am to mop the bus. And while I'm mopping, the water's freezing. (laughs) And nobody praises me for it. If you're going to live a life for Christ, now now watch me, whether it's in full-time capacity or whether it's in just being a layman in a church, you better be unselfish. I surrendered at 16 to the ministry. I really didn't know what that meant. To be honest, I didn't like people. We won't mention any names of people that I know that don't like people. And... But God began to stir something in my heart and gave me a desire for ministry. And let me say this. If you don't like people now, don't surrender to full-time service because your life is all about people. About three years ago, we were going through some difficulties in our, in our home. And our pastor graciously, graciously said, you know, Eric, you can step aside from working full-time at Fairhaven and you can just work a job. And so I took a job on for about, I don't know, four to six months. And I remember scrubbing floors and scraping floors and doing some floor service work. And I remember about 2 o'clock in the morning, Mr. Schrock, I'm sitting in this medical facility and I'm buffing the floor and I began to say, Lord, is this what you want for me for the rest of my life? And I'm not into this creepy audible sounds, but I remember the Lord just putting on my heart one word. Tim, you'll know the word. The word was people. People. People people. And God made it very clear I wasn't going to be scrubbing floors the rest of my life. My focus was going to be on people. Now watch me. If you don't like people, you're missing out on ministries all about. And you better understand that you're not supposed to be selfish. Let me ask you this. Right now, are you right with God? Are there sins that you have hidden from view, or maybe that you're kind of keeping concealed and you're just kind of going through the motions and you're kind of, in a way, just apathetic. And, and again, you'll have to excuse me. I was sitting there listening to Mr. Hume's testimony. It stirred my heart, and I'm watching some of you sleep through it. Shame on us. And, and if you can't get stirred, and I'm not talking about every time you get up in the morning like, oh, ministry people there's there's the grind of ministry i get it but if you're not getting stirred about the work of the lord i'm i'm careful how i say this go home go home because your life is about people and if your bus route doesn't get you stirred up go home you're in the wrong business The truth is, the Christian life is an unselfish life. You say, I've surrendered to the Lord. Can I ask you, when was the last time you led somebody to Jesus Christ? 
and I'm not a numbers guy. I'll be the first one to say I'm not about numbers. But have you even tried to get the gospel to somebody since you've been here or in the month of January at all? You think, well, you know, I'm going to be a missionary. And you're not doing anything here? What's going to change when you go somewhere else? Amen. And I'm not trying to be the bad guy. I'm just stirred up because our lives are about people. Are you impacting somebody right now? Now, I'm proud of a lot of you guys and girls. Sorry. Sign you to ministries. Even, even these guys fill in over Christmas break, and they do it with a willing spirit. It's, it's fun to see people just say, I, I'll, I'll volunteer for that. The students are gone. I'll jump into this class. And I've watched some of you guys grab things by the reins, and it's fun to watch. And what that says is, if you're serious now, you'll be serious later. But some of us sit back and say, what's the least I can do? God's not going to call you. And I, and I scratched my head. Last week I was blessed to preach to about 250 kids in the four Christian schools I was in. And man, I was blessed to talk to about 10 that after chapel they came up in these different settings and they said, we believe God's called us into ministry. I was excited. I got to talk one-on-one with them and said, listen, I don't care where you go, but just be busy now. God's not going to call you if you're just sitting doing nothing. Well, well let me ask you. When, did, when have you done any extra visitation? Just because. When have you gone to the nursing home on Wednesday or Thursday, not just on Saturday, said, I have a burden for this lady and for this fella, or on my bus, and I've got a burden, i just got to do something. The Christian life is unselfish. You have to push aside your schedule, your wants, your desires, your will, and say, I want to serve God because I want to live an unselfish life. I don't know about you, but I don't like getting in, interrupted. I, I like to be up pretty early in the morning. My house is generally quiet because I like to have quiet time. And when my kids are up, it's not quiet. There's the coffee being made for my wife and this and that's going on. And I get distracted pretty easy. But can I ask you this? What if God interrupted your little schedule and said, hey, I'd like you to be in ministry. What did you do? Jesus got interrupted a lot. And there were times I think the disciples were annoyed at those children that were coming. And they said, send them away. Send them away. Do you remember also another time where there's a big crowd and they were hungry? And what did they say to Jesus? Send them away. What did Jesus say? No, no, no. You give them to eat. Oh, what did he say? Suffer the little children to come unto me. I, I, I can't help but sit back and watch all those little kids around Anne and watch them with those, with those violins and, and watch them singing the songs and learning. Can you not get excited about that? Man. But, but watch me. Titus went to Ecuador in May, June last year, and he came back, and he was pretty fired up, as fired up as Titus can get. We started talking. And I said, so tell me about Ecuador. What do they do? And he says, well, they have little bus routes that take, bring the kids into church, and they have VBS programs, and they have camp, and they have youth activities. And I, my wheels started spinning. I said, so what you're telling me is what they do in Ecuador is the same thing they do here. He said, yeah. So while we should get excited about 
serving God on the other side of the world, can I say what you're doing right now is the exact same thing that they're doing in Cambodia, that they're doing, where's Megan, in, in Rome, or where, where, whatever, what they're doing in Mexico, in these different areas that Josue and Rafi Tafi are from, and I can go down the list. And we should be excited about missions beyond, but can I say, the kids in Gary and Holbrook and Michigan City and Portage and Chesterton and all the routes that we have scattered, they still have souls too. And if you can't get excited about door knocking a little bit here, even in the cold, we'll go out and do our thing. But when it comes to church, it's like, man, you know what? I'm a little tired. My nose is running a little bit. Listen. You gotta be in the grind. We have to live an unselfish life. I mean, I'm just curious. How many of you have been on a missions trip before? Can I see your hand? Awesome. Put your hands up. How many have not? I'm gonna push you to get out on a missions trip. It'll change you. It'll encourage you. It'll let you see the need elsewhere. And that helped me, and it really helped. Titus, 97% of the world has heard of Coca-Cola. 72% of the world has seen a can of Coca-Cola. 51% of the world has tasted Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola has been around, I think, 100 or 120 years. So what we see just on those stats, almost all of the world has heard of Coca-Cola. You say, what's the point? If God had given the task of world evangelization to the Coke company, it would probably be done by now. That grabbed me. What's the problem? Well, I think sometimes we're like the disciples when Jesus was giving the last charge and he's standing there and he says, all power is given unto me and ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and ye shall be, what's the word? Witnesses unto me in Jerusalem. We know the text and we can quote it. And what happened is he started to go up. They just stood there. Cool. Wow. Amazing. And all of a sudden the angels came and says, what are you doing? That's the ERV. Why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which has gone up, he's going to come back. And I think what he was saying is, get back to Jerusalem and get busy. But many of us are like, huh, cool. Missionaries. Buses. Ooh, flags of foreign fields. Ooh, video presentations. That was a neat one. I guess my urgency today is, why stand ye gazing? Is he coming back? Let me say that. Let me ask that again. Is he coming back? I believe that. So I don't think we need to just like, oh, I'm just going to patiently wait for his return. No, 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 no. We know he's coming. How about be, being busy about the father's business right now? Amen. I haven't even gotten to my text. <laughs> this is fun. What's the thought? Well, how, how much are you concerned about missions right now? I, I have to hang my head a little bit. Because we have our prayer list for missionaries. And I probably once a month text our missionaries. I pray for them. But I don't do a whole lot. 
You really think if you're not interested, will the intent be there? What you invest in, you'll be interested in. Now, I know we got the missionary kids here, and they want everybody to go to the mission field, don't you? You want everybody to go to Cambodia. And you should. And you'd kind of rather be there than here right now, I'm, I, I'm guessing, right? Not just because it's warmer there. <laughs> but, but can we not understand the need is great here, the need is great there. What are we doing about it right now? Nehemiah chapter 1. They say Americans, and this is an old stat, but Americans give $700 million a year to mission agencies. That's impressive. But listen to this stat. That's $700 million a year. Americans also pay that much for pet food every 52 days. Where's the priority? I say to that doggone, <laughs> no pun intended. Let me, let me just give you, I, I really have one thought I want to leave with you. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1, the Bible says this, The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hachaliah, and it came to pass in the month Chislu, in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan the palace. I think we know the text. That's my text. I think we know the story of Nehemiah. I'm not going to take time to develop it. But here we have a man. He's the cupbearer for the king in Shushan the palace. Uh, in the month Chislu is what the text says. That's the ninth month, probably for the Hebrews, November, December, that realm. So that's the timing. In the 20th year, Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1 tells us when that is. And it came to pass in the month Nisan, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes the king. So, so we've got this November to December time frame. We've got Artaxerxes as the king. We find Nehemiah, this man of God, in the palace. He was not a preacher. He was not a missionary. He was a slave that got transported from his homeland to Shushan the palace. But I, I, I got a hunch that he was probably fairly comfortable. Here's the thought. The Bible tells us that we ought to compel people to come in. That word compel is a strong word. It actually means this, to force to do something. I thought, man, we could take that to a whole new level on the bus routes. Go in the house and start dragging kids out. That'd be awesome. I don't think we want to get that quite extreme. But he does say we're supposed to urge them. We are supposed to necessitate them to come into church. That his house may be full. I think that's important for us to understand. So, here's my thought. Nehemiah probably was comfortable in the palace. But there came a point when he heard some news of a, what was going on back in his homeland. He says, I've got to do something about it. And he said, it's time to leave the palace. Let me say this, Fairhaven Baptist College, one of the point purposes is to pull you out of your comfort zone. Now, I'm, I'm going to praise the college students for just a minute because many of you have taken step one. You've left your comfort zone of home. You've stepped away from Maryland, from Iowa, 
Abby, I don't know where you're from right now, but we'll just say California to make it sound really good. From Mexico. Where are you from? Alabama? You're going to claim Alabama, Nolan? He's like, you have no idea where he's from. Ohio, Alaska, Louisiana, Pennsylvania, Florida. Down the list, you've, you, you've kind of stepped away and really, in a sense, stepped away from your comfort zone to move from your nice, warm bed into a room with other people. Ah! You guys just kind of been forced to do your thing. But we all like our comfort zone. I do. But Nehemiah was willing to say, I'm going to leave my comfort zone because there's a work that needs to be done. And you read through the Bible, you'll see all kinds of people in palace situation. Uh, Moses ended up in the palace, did he not? Uh, Joseph ended up in the palace, did he not? Daniel was in a palace. Hanani, Mishael, Nazarite ended up in the palace. David, from watching sheep to being a soldier to playing a harp, ended up in the palace. Saul was just chasing some donkeys, and it ended him up in the palace. Solomon was born basically into a palace. And we come to Nehemiah. Let me say this. The Bible says this. Seest thou a man diligent in his business? He shall stand before kings. He shall stand before kings. He shall not stand before Mean men. And I thought about that. I've read that often. I thought, well, that doesn't make sense. People that are mean, why wouldn't he stand before them? But that idea of mean gives the idea of somebody that's obscure, somebody that's not known. Can I say, if you're diligent now, God will put you in places where there's going to be an opportunity to shine some light. But if you're not diligent, if you're just bombing classes and you don't care, if you're not showing up for your ministries, if you're not making verses, if you're not doing all those things, you say, what's the big deal? It is a big deal because we ought to be diligent in the business that God has for us right now. Joseph in the palace. Kind of the plus for him is he went through all of his hardships and then he got to kind of really die in the palace. Daniel seems to have it made. And so there are some people that God says, I'm going to leave them in the palace. But there's others that he says, you know what, I want you to leave the palace. So, so for Nehemiah, let me just say this. The palace is a place of comfort, isn't it? Is there much fighting going on in the palace? No, it's like, hey, comfort. I see the palace as a place of comfort, and I am all about comfort. I see the palace as a place of convenience. Isn't it nice to be served rather than to serve? I get an email about five times a year. Banquet time. You need to be in the kitchen at 5 o'clock. Banquet starts at 6.30. We need you to be there to serve. It doesn't faze me because I've been doing it for 20 years. And I don't even want to sit down anymore because my thing is go into the kitchen and help whoever the, the, the person. But it's sometimes nice to sit there and say, hey, hey, yeah, I need that. Yep, yep, I need that. Yep, come here, come here. That's palace life. That's pretty awesome. Because it's convenient. You don't have to get up. You don't have to spill anything on you. You don't have to deal with the annoying people that say, where's my drink? Where's this? Where's this? It's kind of a place of comfort and convenience, is it not? How about the palace as a place of care? Here's Moses, if you will, given the best education. Here you go. Here you go. 
It's all handed to you. It's all handed to you. Here you go. You're just cared for, and it's just wonderful. The best of everything in the palace, place of coaching, if you will, preparing you for that next step. You know what? Lord willing, your homes trained you for the next step. My desire is that my kids don't just live a comfortable life. I want them uncomfortable but living for Jesus. That's my desire. That's what we train them for. That's why you'll see the Ramos family running here and there. Not because we're great Christians, but it needs to be our lives are about serving and serving and serving and serving. I need to be done. So he gets this message. And he hears news from this foreign land, if you will. It's his homeland, but he's not there. And this news stirs him to tears. Let me ask you this. When was the last time you shed a tear about a lost soul? About a country? About a friend that has gone astray? Oh, we, we cry when we're watching that dog movie. It's like... And all of a sudden, it's so close to the finish line. It's the sled dogs, and they're there. And the lead dog is just, and all of a sudden, it just keels over. Like, oh, I've been there. You get that lump in your throat, and your kids are watching. Like, I can't shed tears now. <laughs> they're going to think Dad's a wuss. And that dog gives his life for the other dogs. <laughs> And the owner carries the dog, and it's like, ah. And you're like, and I say that, it sounds foolish, but man, we, we will shed tears in a, in a Hallmark movie. Hopefully you don't watch those too much. That'll ruin your day. I'm not, and I'm not trying to be pious here. When was the last time you left Bible Club? the nursing home, your bus on a Sunday afternoon thinking, did you see what the kids are going back into? Wow. Does, does that move you? Nehemiah sat down, he heard the news of his homeland, and he says he wept and mourned certain days. It, it changed his schedule. And he got a burden. He says, i got to do something about it. You know the story of Nehemiah. It changed, it changed his life because he got a burden. It brought him to tears. It brought him to prayers. When was the last time you actually prayed? Do you pray for the lost right now? It's not going to change just because you become a missionary. He began to pray. Bad news Stirred him to face some fears. He had to stand before the king. He had to ask some questions. He had to go about doing something. And, and there was some fearfulness. And he, and he prayed. And again, I'm just buzzing through the outline here. And this news and this change in Nehemiah affected his peers. He went back and did a job quick in 52 days. I pray for that guy all the way in the back, Stephen. His life's going to change in about four months get married, work in a church, and it's like, oh, Stephen's here, yeah! Reality's going to hit. When people are relying on him, their needs are relying on him. 
I'm glad to know he's in the bus route and he's in junior church and all those things. But can I say, stir up your nest right now. Say, God, I want to do more. I want to do more. I want to reach people now. It's time to leave the palace. And I'll digress just for a minute. Aren't you thankful that we have another man? We call him the son of man. We call him the God man. Amen. That could have stayed comfortable in heaven. Are you with me today, Christian? Are you with me? He could have stayed in the comfort zone of heaven. But he left the palace. And he came down and faced a whole lot of opposition. Faced a lot of fears. Faced being spit upon and punched and beard ripped in his face. Aren't you glad he left the palace for you? Nehemiah was willing to leave the palace. You've taken a step, many of you. Danielle, it'd be kind of nice just to go back to Fostory and get back in that comfort zone again, right? All of us. My wife left Mexico. It was a comfort zone. Came here, and I really ruined her life when I asked her to marry me. And I'm going to put a plug in at what Mr. Hume said yesterday. Girls, if, if, if you're, you're sitting next to that young man and there's interest and he's not, he's not interested in Jesus, it's not going to change. I'm telling you, it's not going to change. I, I'm, I hate to say it, but I'm in, I'm in conversations with people and their wives are walking out on them right now and they've been in ministry and they've said this. They said, man, my life has been horrible. I'm being real about this. I believe, I believe if I told my wife today we're moving to Timbuk 3, <laughs> it would be hard, but I believe she would say, okay, if that's what the Lord wants, let's go. You better know that now. Oh, he's cute, she's cute. That works for a little bit. But is that significant other Willing to leave the palace too? Because if not, you're in for a long road. Are you willing to leave the palace?